Well, welcome to The Fit Chap, a podcast devoted to the fitness and well-being of prospective chaplains in the United States Army. My name is Chaplain Jason Phipps, and it is an honor to be here yet again to have uh, some time to engage with you all regarding uh, your success and uh, really your your holistic well-being, your spiritual, emotional, physical well-being here in Chaplain Basic Officer Leader Course. We're sitting here doing a recording. There is a, a tropical storm that is gaining momentum outside, and so we're, we're going to do a relatively quick podcast today because we have to evacuate the building here in about two hours because they're going to lock us out and make us go home. But that's just kind of how it goes around here. Always an adventure here at the Chaplain School. Well, I wanted to introduce our guest this month. His name is Dr. Nathan White. He's an associate dean here at the graduate school, but he is also a reserve chaplain. How long have you been in the chapel corps? Since 2007, I want to say. Yeah, 2006. So, uh, okay. yeah, 16 years, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 17. The past few guests I've had, we've had some moments to reminisce about our time in Chibolic and Dr. White. It's no different. We uh, we spent some time, I think, going to, through Chibolic or at least part of it together. So good memories there. But he is on the show with us this month as we discuss an area of wellness that in many cases may be overlooked in the minds of prospective chaplain students. And that is one's ability to write. And we have regulations. Uh, we actually have a regulation that is committed specifically to Army writing style. In fact, that's what it's called, AR Army Regulation 25-50, the Army writing style. When you come here to Chibolic, there are uh, expectations of all of the students that they be able to write, not just in the Army writing style, but also we have additional papers that you will write for some of our subject matter expert professors, I guess, is for lack of a, a better way to explain that. So for example, we have a, an, an ethics instructor here. Each of them have individual assignments that they will share with the students. Those assignments require that you be able to articulate your thoughts and formulate cogent narratives that explain what that particular instructor is looking for and answer the questions necessary in order to understand perhaps like what does it look like to provide religious accommodations for someone of a different faith group or how do you write a conscientious objector memo so those are some of the things that we do but what i have discovered dr white you can expound upon this a little bit is what i would consider to some degree a troubling reality that we have faced here at the chaplain school and that is that some of our students not all of them but a small percentage of our students don't know how to write and it's not so much that they don't know how to write in the army writing style because we can teach you that it's more of the how do you use grammar and punctuation the ways in in which we see grammar and punctuation used are kind of incongruent with what we would expect of students who have either completed a graduate degree or are in the middle of working on a graduate degree. So with that being said, before we get into the the details, kind of the meat of the subject, Dr. White, could you give us a little bit of your background and how you ended up here at the USAR role? 
Yes, yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me here, Chaplain Phipps. It's, of course. It's um, a lot of fun and great to have this conversation with you that hopefully will, will help a lot of people. Like you mentioned, we were in Chibolic, at least a, a part of it together, chaplain candidates together. I remember a experience together um, out in Colorado, right? Yes. Springs. Yeah. Yeah. Fun times. Yeah. So I was on active duty as a chaplain for number of years and then decided to transfer to the reserves and go and do my PhD in England, then bring that expertise back here to the the chaplain school. And uh, in my current role, really, I help to focus on professional development training for chaplains. So I focus more on those who are already in the chaplain corps, helping provide degrees and certificates and professional development training for individuals who are already in the chaplain corps. But I do love engaging with first-term chaplains and Chibolic students and, and all of that as well. So I have a decidedly practical bent to my academic focus, I guess. So sure. trying to bring to bear what is academically rigorous, but also has a, a, a practical bent and is not just kind of ivory tower type stuff. And when you say practical bent, how have you seen that? play out over the course of your time here? Yeah, so I think it's bringing to bear all of that theoretical, systematic focus. You know, in a lot of degree programs, you study systematic theology or you study ancient languages or things like that, which are vital and, and really helpful. But in especially in the military context, it's about bringing that knowledge that reality, that truth to bear on the lives of soldiers. So it's really helping people understand, and I went on a journey of this myself, uh, how does what we know, what we've learned, what our faith traditions tell us impact our own lives and the lives that, that we minister to? So that can look like helping someone deal with a loss in their life, developing a theology of suffering that can encompass that. And I think that's one thing that prospective Chibolic students really need to, to press into as well. How do you deal with suffering? How do you deal with difficulty? And then how do you help somebody who is facing those questions themselves? What the chaplain brings to the military is this rich repository of resources, of faith traditions going back thousands of years, and uh, so we need to delve deeply into that, but not in an ivory tower, as I said, but uh, showing very clearly this is how these great truths applied to the lives of those that, that we're ministering to. And can you just briefly explain to our audience how those experiences and those learning processes manifest themselves in a practical way? I know that, and when I say practical, I mean like, what are the opportunities that maybe a second or a third term chaplain, which very well could be some of these Chibolic students someday, what are the opportunities for them? Yeah. So uh, starting out in a battalion, you have a lot of opportunities to interface with soldiers and their families who are going through really difficult times. And I think, at least for me, I found in the midst of that, I wanted more. I wanted to know more and go deeper in my own faith to know what resources and how to help these people in ways that I didn't fully understand when I first was coming into the chaplaincy. So some of the things that we offer for second or third term chaplains is clinical pastoral education. Okay. So we have a, a year-long residency for that. 
That also includes a doctor of ministry degree that's integrated there. Uh, we also have what's called the Family Life Program, which is a, an 18-month master's in marriage and family counseling. And then we offer some short courses on things like moral injury, on combat medical ministry. So these are all things that are designed to help those who are in the chaplaincy have already had some experience and, and want to go to that next level in their care. It provides a bit of specialization and additionally certifications and degrees that go along with that. Okay. So really just expounding upon your own professional development as a chaplain, but I would say perhaps maybe from a more holistic perspective in that now we're not just focusing on academics, but we're focusing on uh, real life experience and maybe a better understanding of where one stands within the presence of God. How do they operate in relation to where God has them? But we're looking at this obviously from a more complete perspective in that there are opportunities to advance your education and to develop your experience and enhance, I should say, your experiences as a, as a chaplain, and which I think is beneficial, particularly at this time in our history, because we're not in the middle of combat. So we don't have chaplains that are completing Chibolic and then going overseas and getting those real world experiences themselves. Yet with the prospect of large scale combat, we very well could be thrust into that type of environment again, where we're, we're having to deal with the odyssey of death. So that's, that's good stuff. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I love the fact that we have those opportunities to share this with you all, but it really does begin here at Chibolic. It begins with that base level understanding of, okay, this is what the army requires of me. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, one of the things that the army requires of you is that you are able to communicate effectively, succinctly, I would say, and effectively, both in written and in verbal form, because you will write recommendation letters. You will certainly write religious accommodation letters. You may write conscientious objector memos, and it requires that you're able to succinctly make a point that someone typically higher up uh, in your chain of command will have to read. And what I've shared with students is that one of the common memos that I had to write was a recommendation letter for someone who was about to get a, a GOMAR. And a GOMAR is a general officer memorandum of record. And it, depending on what kind of an infraction uh, necessitates a GOMAR, that could make or break somebody's career in the Army. So if you're not able to articulate very succinctly your recommendation to in some cases, a general officer, you, you could be doing more harm than good for that soldier. So the bottom line is, is that writing is, is important. And I, I just wanted to share a small statistic that I have observed since I've been here. So we as SGLs, we give assignments, we grade assignments. We also have, as I mentioned, those subject matter experts, the ethics instructor, the world religions, the homiletics instructor, the counseling instructor, you are given multiple writing assignments throughout your time in Chibolic. So multiple people are grading your papers and in some cases re regrading those papers if you happen to fail that first one. And so they need to be retrained and then reassessed. But it is rare that we actually have to release a student because of academic failure, because they're unable to meet the criteria 
required to graduate specifically related to academics. Well, within the last probably six to eight months, we have released two students because they have failed to meet that requirement for graduation. Now, being released does not necessarily mean that you can never come back. In fact, one of them is coming back in this next class next month. But it is a challenge for many people to hear that they are not meeting that requirement. One of these students had one or two master's degrees already, which, of course, raises the question in my mind, well, what kind of education are you receiving if you have two master's degrees and yet writing a two-page paper is a challenge for you? So I don't say that to everyone to discourage you, but I say that to make the point that don't don't come into this assuming that you'll get a pass uh, on these these papers. They they're taken very seriously. There's a lot of weight on these papers. It's not a big theological opus that you're having to write. It's not your oral doctrinals or anything like that. But it can really put a lot of people in a stressful situation. So I don't know thoughts. Yeah, I think it's really important to to consider that. And I want to zoom out just a little bit to hone in on some of what you mentioned. Why should students be concerned about or be interested in academic writing or writing uh, in the Army writing style or how the Army wants them to write? And I think we have to situate this within the ministry context. As you mentioned, the Army requires and expects certain things of its officers, and chaplains are, are no different. So chaplains, like you mentioned, have to write particular memos, like a Gomar memo. They also have slides that they turn in usually every week to brief the commander. Along with other staff members, they have to write documents like a tax op, a tactical SOP. And uh, these are things that are seen not just by themselves, but by the commander, by other staff officers, by higher level commanders. So being proficient in something like this is actually a ticket to gaining credibility for ministry. Absolutely. If if you can't do the basic army stuff that other officers are expected to, they're not going to take you seriously and not going to take your ministry as seriously. It's also, as you mentioned, a, a clear pastoral concern of there's some very real power that a chaplain has in a memo that they write on behalf of a soldier for good or or ill. And that's not taken as seriously if it's not done correctly. So just kind of zooming out uh, to that level, the military requires and needs certain things of chaplains, and that's what this course is designed for. The military recently has been making a little bit of a shift to what they call outcomes-based military education. And that's basically saying, hey, the Army requires this of its chaplains. Therefore, what training programs like Chipolok are going to do are to train to that standard to, to get that outcome. And that, that's really kind of what it boils down to for me here is we can be the, the best preachers, the best counselors that we can be, but if we don't take and contextualize some of those skills within the Army context, then it's, it could be all for naught. So it's about drawing, again, on that wealth of wisdom that we've received in our training but then applying it in the Army in ways that make sense for the Army context. A simple way to think about this is, for example, and this is just a matter of maybe developing good muscle memory, but if you are used to sending emails in some font other than Arial or maybe Calibri, 
then that's your first impression right there. And for individuals who don't know any better, that's one thing. But, you know, if you're writing emails in Comic Sans as a first-term chaplain... To your commander. Yeah, to your commander that could get blasted out to anybody else. That's setting a precedent in the minds of your commander, your sergeant major, other individual leaders within the unit about who you are as a chaplain. I just wanted to share something else with regards to the field manual FM7-22, that uh, one of the domains is the mental domain. And under the mental domain, I found that there is a paragraph entitled the cognitive skill. Now, the Army, with regards to FM7-22, what they wrote under cognitive skill, rather interesting. They said, cognitive skill is the ability to expand and integrate knowledge into decisions. It drives the ability to make sound decisions. It is built through the instruction and absorption of personal and professional experience and education, values, and beliefs. It should not be difficult for soldiers and leaders to understand the link between high levels of cognitive skill and optimal performance on the battlefield. Low cognitive skill leads to poor decision-making and misconduct uh, behaviors. So there's this understanding here that there's there's one side of the coin and the other side of the coin. And they try to make this connection between cognitive skills and your ability to make decisions. So chaplains do not have command authority in virtually every environment. We do not have command authority. We're not necessarily making decisions, but we convey a sense of leadership in our competence. Even though we, we aren't making decisions on the battlefield, we're not even necessarily making decisions in the command and staff meeting. We convey confidence and provide reassurance to those that we advise and through our competence. Definitely agreed. And I think part of uh, what needs to be conveyed here as well is that in the Army, a part of that competence means conveying things in the Army way or within mm-hmm. the Army culture. Yes. And a part of that is the Army writing style, which, as you said, is succinct. It's it's bluff, bottom line up front. Mm-hmm. And if the chaplain is kind of going off on a tangent or writes, you know, this long five-page treaties for the commander and all the commander needs is, you know, kind of a paragraph summary with the bottom line up front. They could understand it and maybe take the time to read it, but that's not really the way things are done in the Army. And so part of that competence comes across of understanding what is the, the Army culture, how are things conveyed in writing. You mentioned email. A lot of times I've, I've seen, unfortunately, with, with young chaplains, kind of getting too much maybe of a buddy-buddy tone in their email with a commander or with their supervisor. Just understanding that there's a certain tone, there's a certain way that things are done in writing, and that competence then leads into ministry as well. It does. It, it does. And, and so when we kind of draw, draw back now to Chibolik a little bit and think about some of the individuals who are coming here. So we have, obviously, we always have civilians who have never been in the army before and some of whom have extensive experience in the pastorate. So they're used to like writing their own sermon manuscripts and there's nobody that's proofreading those manuscripts because their delivery style and their confidence before their congregation, that's all they need. I'll put it this way. Having the mentality that I am that I'm so used to writing a manuscript and now coming to an environment 
where I have to write succinctly, write bullet points, like you said, the bottom line up front, which is, hey, let's let's face it, that's like the big idea. So now we're talking about deductive preaching here. can be challenging for some people because as pastors, we tend to be verbose. We tend to be flowery in our language. And like you said, we, we can't do that. So that's a that's an adjustment that certainly can take place. But nevertheless, it's an adjustment that can create some stress for students who are already stressed over the requirements that they have, uh, competing academic requirements, early mornings, uh, late nights, being away from home, all of that creates this stressful environment that makes something very simple particularly challenging. And I think sacred communication is a great example because a lot of us may be used to having a, a long sermon, you know, preaching a, a very long deductive sermon, as you mentioned, or something to that effect. What we have to realize is, again, we're taking all of that, the knowledge, all of that wisdom from our sacred tradition, but then within the army context, an hour-long sermon, even in half an, half an hour-long sermon, is not going to be what's needed, especially in a field environment. Right. And so taking those kernels of wisdom and distilling them down into this piece of sacred communication that fits the needs on the battlefield for encouragement for soldiers. It's again, kind of that bottom line up front mentality, but also it's just being aware of the culture in which we're ministering uh, is going to have certain constraints that the civilian context does not have. Well, just some pointers. Oftentimes, you don't necessarily know if you're not a good writer. Other people will, will observe that if you give them the opportunity to, to read your papers. But in some cases, you may not know that, hey, 50% of what I write is in the passive tense. We actually have a class, as I mentioned, it's the Army writing style and then communicate in writings, two separate classes. But we talk about the passive versus the active tense and how important it is to use the active tense because now we're able to apply uh, an action to a specific subject versus creating this kind of ambiguity, which no commander is going to want ambiguity in a letter that you write. They're going to want a subject, a verb, and an object, to put it very simply. So some tips with regards to preparing. If you know that you're not a strong writer, that's okay. You can still find success here. What we have observed is that often those weaker writers will enlist the help of stronger writers. And it is an environment. I mean, we're all chaplains. We're all here to encourage and help one another. That's something that is good, but can be challenging for those weaker writers because this really can be an issue of pride. I mean, I think we can all say that our pride is affected either by our ability to write well or our inability to write well. And so it's often more challenging for someone who cannot write well, who has maybe been dinged a couple times by their instructors to go again and again to peers who will gladly help them, but to just humble oneself and, and go to a peer and ask for that help, it, it can be challenging. Another option that we have seen students use is the program Grammarly. I'm not too familiar with it, but it's a program that is approved. There's no, there's no guidance. There's no SOP that says you can't use that to help you with your writing. Perhaps the downside of that is it doesn't catch everything. 
and it can create a dependency for that student. You may not be able to rely on that as a resource in the future of your career, but it's certainly something that you could use while you're here. I think you have to pay for it, but that's an option as well. There are other options out there to consider, but like I said, the amount of writing that you have in comparison to the practical exercises that we provide, the physical training, the the time where you're, you're literally sitting in class, it's enough that, like I said, it creates stress and uh, it will demand much of you, but this is the place to figure it out. Where you don't want to figure out I'm a terrible writer is when you're at your first unit and your commander asks you to interview a conscientious objector and then you have to write a memo to that commander who you may or may not have a good relationship with explaining why that person should not be granted conscientious objector status. So just a scenario to consider as, uh, as you prepare to come here and deal with some of those scenarios, at least on a notional level. Yeah, and I think the the points of preparing for Trebolic in this way is a good one. It's one that's not often thought of, but I think it's not one to be overly worried about as well. More just, you know, to be aware that this is a stressful part of it as well. Like you mentioned, long days, early mornings, you know, just having a couple of days to turn around a paper. In a normal civilian context, that might be easier to do, but in Tribolic itself, there's a lot of other stressors. And I think it speaks to just more broadly, how do you prepare yourself to to be a chaplain? How do you prepare yourself to the role that God has called you to? And just something to think about. And One thing from my perspective of kind of what I've seen in terms of seminarians coming into the chaplain corps, seminary will not necessarily provide you with everything that you need to be a good chaplain uh, in all the skills. And that's where it's partially incumbent upon the individuals to seek out that expertise, to seek out perhaps those particular subject areas that may be lacking in their own training or their own background and here I'm just thinking of, of things like trauma ministry, you know, developing a theology of suffering that helps you as you deal with those who go through trauma, things like moral injury, working within a religiously diverse context, counseling skills, you know, do so much counseling and get trained on some of these things. But I think each of us finding those areas that we need to grow in personally and getting a, a better understanding of those ways that we can professionally develop ourselves to be who God has called us to be. So I think this is a huge piece of that because all of the things that we do in the Army touch on the bureaucratic processes, right, which are done in paper. And so it can be an often overlooked aspect of, of ministry, but I think it's a really important one and one to, to think about and consider. And this may actually seem a little odd to say within this context, but for some students, Chibolic may be the place where they first develop a theology of suffering. Yeah, We've certainly had students who this is really a shock to their system, and it's not just the academics. It's more so the combination of everything that takes place here. The whole experience of Chibolic really forces you to ask the question, God, why is this happening why did I fail this assignment? Why did all of my peers get through this, but I didn't? 
especially if you're used to finding success in the civilian world or you're used to finding success elsewhere outside of the army, it it can be a, a great opportunity to ask those questions and really to humbly posture yourself before the Lord. There are many opportunities that Chibola gives you and really the army, let's be honest, as chaplains to humble yourself. I had a few commanders who did not know God that I still had to humble myself before because of who they were, not necessarily because they had any reverence for God's authority in their own lives, but because they were my commander and they had more experience and vastly more authority than I had. And uh, it was a great opportunity to uh, learn something new about who I was, not just before that commander, but really in the presence of of God. So I, I think it will be a good experience for you. And you'll have peers who will come alongside you and encourage you, and you'll do great things. And I'm really glad that you brought that up as well, because the Army, in a sense, is really all about suffering. I mean, if you look at being in the field, if you look at large-scale combat operations, part of being a soldier is dealing with suffering, in a sense. And we have to get our, our minds and our hearts around that as chaplains, and enter into that suffering with our soldiers. And there's a, a lot of people, I think, in ministers who maybe have not experienced that in the past or not seen that as a, as a vital part of their ministry, but in the military, embracing suffering, dealing with suffering, helping others deal with their own suffering is, is vital to it. And in the sense that, just to a, a small extent, Chibolic or, or other training opportunities in the Army give us an opportunity to enter into that suffering, whether it's doing PT in the morning or struggling through learning a certain topic or learning how to write in this way. It's not always easy, but that's really part and parcel of the experience and of growing into roles as ministers who, who embrace suffering and help others through, through their suffering. Yes. And, and we tend to think that civilian pastors, civilian uh, ministers come here with at least some degree of, of understanding because they've either had to deal with sickness or death in their congregations or had to counsel people who are in very challenging places in their lives. But I think there's just there's nothing quite like suffering in the army. We can't fully replicate that type of, of suffering, but you, you stay in the army long enough, you're going you're gonna to experience it for yourself. And you'll make that decision whether or not this is the career path that God has for you or, or not. So, But it starts here. This has been a great conversation, Dr. White. I appreciate you being on the show with us this month. Any other thoughts? I don't want to cut you off, but... No, uh, really glad to be here and have this this important conversation and appreciate all that you're doing for the Chaplain Corps and, and for these Chibolk students. So thank you f- for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for, for being here with us. Well, listen, don't be discouraged. We're looking forward to having you here. If you're listening to this podcast, feel free to subscribe, leave some comments, and uh, we look forward to, to seeing you here soon. So have a great rest of the week. And we'll talk again soon.